They finished lunch and went outside into the overcast courtyard. Hermione sat down on a stone step and buried her nose in voyages with vampires again. Harry and Ron stood talking about Quidditch for several minutes before Harry became aware that he was being closely watched. Looking up, he saw the very small, mousy-haired boy he'd seen trying on the sorting hat last night, staring at Harry as though transfixed. He was clutching what looked like an ordinary muggle camera, and the moment Harry looked at him, he went bright red. All right, Harry, I'm, I'm Colin Creevy, he said breathlessly, taking a tentative step forward. I'm in Gryffindor too. Do you think, would it be all right if, can I have a picture? He said, raising the camera, hopefully. A picture? Harry repeated blankly. So I can prove I met you, said Colin Creevy eagerly, edging further forward. I know all about you. Everyone's told me about how you survived when you know who tried to kill you and how you disappeared and everything and how you've still got a lightning scar on your forehead. His eyes raked Harry's hairline. And a boy in my dormitory said if I develop the film in the right position, the pictures will move. Colin drew a great shuddering breath of excitement and said, It's amazing here, isn't it? I never knew all the odd stuff I could do was magic till I got the letter from Hogwarts. My dad's a milkman. He couldn't believe it either. So I'm taking loads of pictures to send home to him. And it'll be really good if I had one of you. He looked imploringly at Harry. Maybe your friends could take it and I could stand next to you. And then could you sign it? Signed photos? You're giving out signed photos, Potter? Loud and scathing, Draco Malfoy's voice echoed around the courtyard. He had stopped right behind Colin, flanked, as he always was at Hogwarts, by his large and thuggish cronies, Crab and Goyle. Everyone line up! Malfoy roared to the crowd. Harry Potter's giving out signed photos! No, I'm not, said Harry angrily, his fist clenching. Shut up, Malfoy. You're just jealous, piped up Colin, whose entire body was about as thick as Crab's neck. Jealous, <laughs> said Malfoy, who didn't need to shout anymore. Half the courtyard was listening in. Of what? I don't want a foul scar right across my head. Thanks. I don't think getting your head cut open makes you that special myself. Crab and Goyle were sniggering stupidly. Eat slugs, Malfoy, said Ron angrily. Crab stopped laughing and started rubbing his knuckles in a menacing way. Be careful, Weasley, sneered Malfoy. You don't want to start any trouble or your mommy will come and take you away from school. He put on a shrill, piercing voice. If you put another toe out of line. A knot of Slytherin fifth years nearby laughed loudly at this. Weasley would like a signed photo, Potter, smirked Malfoy. It'd be worth more than his family's whole house. Ron whipped up his spellotaped wand, but Hermione shut voyages with vampires with a snap and whispered, Look out! What's all this? What's all this? Gilderoy Lockhart was striding toward them, his turquoise robe swirling behind them. Who's giving out signed photos? Harry started to speak but he was cut short as Lockhart flung an arm around his shoulders and thundered jovially. Shouldn't have asked. We meet again, Harry. Pinned to Lockhart's side and burning with humiliation, Harry saw Malfoy slide smirking back into the crowd. Come on then, Mr. Creevy, said Lockhart, beaming at Colin. A double portrait. Can't do better than that. And we'll both sign it for you. 
Colin fumbled for his camera and took the picture as the bell rang behind them, signaling the start of afternoon classes. Off you go! Move along there! Lockhart called to the crowd as he set back to the castle with Harry, who was wishing he knew a good vanishing spell, still clasped to his side. A word to the wise, Harry, said Lockhart paternally as he entered the building through his side door. I covered up for you there with young Creevy. If he is photographing me, too, your schoolmates won't think you're setting yourself up so much. Deaf to Harry's stammers, Lockhart swept him down a corridor lined with staring students and up a staircase. Let me just say that handing out signed pictures at this stage of your career isn't sensible. Looks a tad big-headed, Harry, to be frank. There may well come a time when, like me, you'll need to keep a stack handy wherever you go, but, he gave a little chortle, I don't think you're quite there yet. They had reached Lockhart's classroom, and he let Harry go at last. Harry yanked his robe straight and head for a seat at the very back of the class, where he busied himself with piling all seven of Lockhart's books in front of him so that he could avoid looking at the real thing. The rest of the class came clattering in, and Ron and Hermione sat down on either side of Harry. You could have fried an egg on your face, said Ron. You better hope Creevy doesn't meet Ginny, or they'll be starting a Harry Potter fan club. Shut up, snapped Harry. The last thing he needed was to, for Lockhart to hear the fa phrase, Harry Potter fan club. When the whole class was seated, Lockhart cleared his throat loudly, and silence fell. He reached forward, picked up Neville Longbottom's copy of Travels with Trolls, and held it up to show his own winking portrait on the front. Me, he said, pointing at it and winking as well. Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five-time winner of Witches Weekly Most Charming Smile Award. But I don't talk about that. I didn't get rid of the abandoned banshee by smiling at her. He waited for them to laugh. A few people smiled weakly. I see you've all bought a complete set of my books. Well done. I thought we'd start with a little quiz. Nothing to worry about. Just to check how well you've read them, how much you've taken in. When he had handed out the test papers, he returned to the front of the class and said, You have 30 minutes. Start. Now. Harry looked down at his paper and read, what is Gilderoy Lockhart's favorite color? What is Gilderoy Lockhart's secret ambition? In your opinion, which is Gilderoy Lockhart's greatest achievement to date? On and on it went, over three sides of paper, right down to 54. When is Gilderoy Lockhart's birthday and what would his ideal gift be? Half an hour later, Lockhart collected the papers and rifled through them in front of the class. Tut, tut. Hardly any of you remember that my favorite color is lilac. I say so in Year with the Yeti. A few of you need to read Wanderings with Werewolves more carefully. I clearly state in Chapter 12 that my ideal birthday gift would be harmony between all magic and non-magic people. Though, I wouldn't say no to a large bottle of Ogden's Old Fire Whiskey. He then gave them another roguish wink. Ron was now staring at Lockhart with an expression of disbelief on his face. Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas, who were sitting in front, were shaking with silent laughter. Hermione, 
on the other hand, was listening to Lockhart with rapt attention and gave a start when he mentioned her name. But Miss Hermione Granger knew my secret ambition is to rid the world of evil and market my own range of hair care potions. Good girl. In fact, he flipped the paper over. Full marks. Where is Miss Hermione Granger? Hermione raised a trembling hand. Excellent, beamed Lockhart. Quite excellent. Take ten points for Gryffindor. And so, to business. He bent down behind his desk and lifted a large covered cage onto it. Now, be warned, it is my job to arm you against the foulest creatures known to wizard kind. You may find yourselves facing your worst fears in this room. Know only that no harm can befall you whilst I am here. All I ask is that you remain calm. In spite of himself, Harry leaned around his pile of books for a better look at the cage. Lockhart placed a, placed a hand on the cover. Dean and Seamus had stopped laughing now. Neville was cowering in his front row seat. I must ask you not to scream, said Lockhart in a low voice. It might provoke them. As the whole class held its breath, Lockhart whipped off the cover. Yes, he said dramatically. Freshly caught Cornish pixies. Seamus Finnegan couldn't control himself. He let out a snort of laughter that even Lockhart couldn't mistake for a scream of terror. Yes, he smiled at Seamus. Well, they're, they're not, they're not very dangerous, are they? Seamus choked. Don't be so sure. Lockhart, waggling a figure annoyingly, looked at Seamus. Devilish, tricky little blighters they can be. The pixies were electric blue and about eight inches high with pointed faces and voices so shrill it was like listening to a lot of budgies arguing. The moment the cover had been removed, they had started jabbering and rocketing around, rattling the bars and making bizarre faces at the people nearest them. Right then, Lockhart said loudly, let's see what you make of them. And he opened the cages. It was pandemonium. The pixies shot in every direction like rockets. Two of them seized Neville by the ears and lifted him into the air. Several shot straight through the window, showering the back row with broken glass. The rest proceeded to wreck the classroom more effectively than a rampaging rhino. They grabbed ink bottles and sprayed the class with them, shredded books and papers, tore pictures from the wall, upended the wastebasket, grabbed bags and books and threw them out the smashed window. And within minutes, half the class was sheltering under desks and Neville was swinging from the iron chandelier in the ceiling. Come on now, round them up, round them up. They're only pixies, Lockhart shouted. He rolled up his sleeves, brandished his wand, and bellowed. Pixipskiki, pesternomi. It had absolutely no effect. One of the pixies seized his wand and threw it out the window too. Lockhart gulped and dived under his own desk, narrowly avoiding being squashed by Neville, who fell a second later as the chandelier gave way. The bell rang and there was a mad rush toward the exit. In the relative calm that followed, Lockhart straightened up and caught sight of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, who were almost at the door and said, well, I'll 
ask you three just to nip the rest of them back into their cage. And he swept past them and shut the door quickly behind them. Can you believe him? roared Ron as one of the remaining pixies bit him painfully on the ear. He just wants to give us some hands-on experience, said Hermione, immobilizing two pixies at once with a clever freezing charm and stuffing them back into their cage. Hands-on, said Harry, who's trying to grab a pixie, dancing out of reach with its tongue out. Hermione, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Rubbish, said Hermione. You've read his books. Look at all those amazing things he's done. He says he's done, Ron muttered. Chapter 7 Mudbloods and Murmurs Harry spent a lot of time over the next few days dodging out of sight whenever he saw Gilderoy Lockhart coming down a corridor. Harry, harder to avoid was Colin Creepy, who seemed to have memorized Harry's schedule. Nothing seemed to give Colin a bigger thrill than to say, All right, Harry! six or seven times a day, and hear, Hello, Colin, back, however exasperated Harry sounded when he said it. Hedwig was still angry with Harry about the disastrous car journey, and Ron's wand was still malfunctioning, surpassing itself on Friday morning by shooting out of Ron's hand and charms and hitting tiny old Professor Flitwick squarely between the eyes, creating a large, throbbing green boil where it had struck. So, with one thing and another, Harry was quite glad to reach the weekend. He, Ron, and Hermione were planning to visit Hagrid on Saturday morning. Harry, however, was shaken awake several hours earlier than he would have liked by Oliver Wood, captain of the Gryffindor Quidditch team. I don't matter, said Harry groggily. Quidditch practice, said Wood. Come on! Harry squinted at the window. There was a thin mist hanging across the pink and gold sky. Now that he was awake, he couldn't understand how he could have slept through the racket the birds were making. Oliver, Harry croaked, it's the crack of dawn. Exactly, said Wood. He was a tall and burly sixth year, and at the moment his eyes were gleaming with crazed enthusiasm. It's part of our new training program. Come on, grab your broom and let's go, said Wood heartily. None of the other teams have started training yet. We're going to be first off the mark this year. Yawning and shivering slightly, Harry climbed out of bed and tried to find his Quidditch robes. Good man, said Wood. Meet you on the field in 15 minutes. When he found his scarlet team robes and pulled on his cloak for warmth, Harry scribbled a note to Ron explaining where he'd gone and went down the spiral staircase to the common room his Nimbus 2000 on his shoulder. He had just reached the portrait hole when there was a clatter behind him and Colin Creevy came dashing down the spiral staircase, his camera swinging madly around his neck and something clutched in his hand. I heard someone saying your name on the stairs, Harry. Look what I've got here. I've had it developed. I wanted to show you. Harry looked bemusedly at the photograph Colin was brandishing under his nose. A moving, black-and-white Lockhart was tugging hard on an arm Harry recognized as his own. He was pleased to see that his photographic self was putting up a good fight and refusing to be dragged into view. As Harry watched, Lockhart gave up and slumped, panting, against the white edge of the picture. "'Will you sign it?' said Colin eagerly. "'No,' said Harry flatly. 
glancing around to check that the room was really deserted. Sorry, Colin, I'm in a hurry. Quidditch practice. He climbed through the portrait hole. Oh, wow! Wait for me! I've never watched a Quidditch game before. Colin scrambled through the hole after him. It'll be really boring, said Harry quickly, but Colin ignored him, his face shining with excitement. You were the youngest house player in a hundred years, weren't you, Harry? Weren't you? said Colin, trotting alongside him. You must be brilliant. I've never flown. Is it easy? Is that your own broom? Is that the best one there is? Harry didn't know how to get rid of him. It was like having an extremely talkative shadow. I don't really understand Quidditch, said Colin breathlessly. Is it true there are four balls and two of them fly around trying to knock people off their brooms? Yes, said Harry heavily, resigned to explaining the complicated rules of Quidditch. They're called bludgers. There are two beaters on each team who carry clubs and beat the bludgers away from the side. Fred and George Weasley are the Gryffindor beaters. What are the other balls for? Colin asked tripping down a couple of steps because he was gazing open-mouthed at Harry. Well, the quaffle, that's the big reddish one, is the one that scores goals. Three chasers on each team throw the quaffle to each other and try and get it through the goalposts at the end of the pitch. There are three long poles with hoops on the end. And the fourth ball is the golden snitch, said Harry. And it's very small, very fast, and difficult to catch. But that's what the seeker's got to do because a game of Quidditch doesn't end until the snitch has been caught. And whichever team seeker gets the snitch earns his team an extra 150 points. And you're the Gryffindor seeker, aren't you? said Colin in awe. Yes, said Harry, as they left the castle and started across the dew-drenched grass. And there's the keeper, too. He guards the goalposts. That's it, really. But Colin didn't stop questioning Harry all the way down the sloping lawns to the Quidditch field, and Harry only shook him off when he reached the changing rooms. Colin called after him in a piping voice, I'll go and get a good seat, Harry, and hurried off to the stands. The re rest of the Gryffindor team were already in the changing room. Wood was the only person who looked truly awake. Fred and George Weasley were sitting, puffy-eyed and tousle-haired, next to fourth-year Alicia Spinnet who seemed to be nodding off against the wall behind her. Her fellow chasers, Katie Bell and Angelina Johnson, were yawning side by side opposite them. There you are, Harry, what kept you? said Wood briskly. Now, I wanted a quick talk with all of you before we actually get onto the field, because I spent the summer devising a whole new training program, which I really think will make the difference. Wood was holding up a large diagram of a Quidditch field on which were many drawn lines, arrows, and crosses in different colored inks. He took out his wand, tapped the board, and arrows began to wiggle all over the diagram like caterpillars. As Wood launched into a speech about his new tactics, Fred Weasley's head drooped right onto Alicia Spinnett's shoulder, and he began to snore. And that is it for today.